BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Creative Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. Today, I am joined by Jacob Sanderson. We just did our first ever show together on Pat Corain's legendary upside mailbag like two weeks ago. I think we're going to be collaborating on some dynasty rankings here. And uh, it's, look, dude, it's it's go time. There are, you you could spend morning till dusk drafting best ball teams and you would not run out you you it starting today you could do nothing but draft that could be your full-time job and by this time the season starts you would not run out of contest to enter right there there's no maxing you would you'd be able to keep entering yeah it's at least my part-time job um but you could certainly make it a full-time job and yeah you'd be golden you could just hop draft kings drafters underdog whatever else we get petitioned to get draft.com back in our lives. Uh, you never run out of best ball drafting. It's a glorious time it, of year. It is. Um, I don't I don't feel burnt out yet. Uh, no. despite like normally to me when it comes is when I realize that I am way behind on DraftKings. Like last year, I realized yeah. I was way behind <laughs> yeah. on DraftKings, and I was like, I I just won't. I I won't. <laughs> There's not really a way for me to realistically do this. Um so what I've been doing is actually saving underdog bullets, only doing like one or two of those a day and just like being in a DraftKings draft. And even if I end up having to auto and I got to go make dinner or I got to do something with the dogs or whatever, it's like, I don't even care. I just, I just want to get these done because I'll be so mad when it's August 3rd and I have 50 DraftKings ones done and I got a hundred left to do. Yeah. It's the late August, like every year, at least the last couple of years, I've always been like, I'm going to do underdog early and then like I'll do DraftKings and all the fish are in there. I'll do all my DraftKings drafts in late August. And then the problem is like underdog is such a pleasurable experience. Cause you're just like walking just through so the park, much easier, right? Like yes. you're walking through the forest. You're, you're here, the birds singing. You're like, Oh great. I'm going to draft the best ball mania team. You don't even feel bad about it because you're in nature no. and you're just rolling through. And it's like such a nice harmonizing experience. And then DraftKings, you're like, well, I have to be at my desktop. And I have to be in like a dark room with a lamp and my like Himalayan crystal providing me some sort of or you just, to life. You just cannot close out of the app on DraftKings. You right. can't, if, you, if for whatever reason you go to another screen, you respond to a text message, you go open Discord, whatever, something is going to bug out and you're going to end up auto-drafting Mac Jones at pick 69 and Justin sure. Herzig is going to call you out in front of everyone. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. For sure. Um, it's horrible. So... Our exercise today, we are going to do our very early zero RB list. Obviously, this is way before the, the Rotovis stuff is going to come out. Main events aren't even open yet, yada, yada, so on and so forth. But people are drafting. We got to give the people what they want. So we each have five guys. I don't think we're going to have very much overlap, actually. My my guess yeah, is I that... I prepare our- seven just in case. So Okay, here okay, you go. cool. All right, so... I guess I I ordered mine in terms of price, so cheapest to most expensive. Okay, so perfect. We're 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 golden here. Uh, so I'll let you start with your fifth one. Okay, my cheapest one. My this guy gets drafted in not even every single draft option uh, is Jerome Ford. Um, We talked actually on the last show that we did about the Browns' incessant use of another back, no matter how much anybody wants it to be full chub season, it's never full chub season. It, it literally have... and never will be. And it wasn't even full right. Kareem Hunt season when fucking car salesman Dearness Johnson was there. No, it's not at all. So 
Uh, I think I talked about then that I think that the Browns subscribe to what I call a comparative advantage theory of their running back room, which is like, even if one guy's better at every single aspect of playing running back, they're just going to use the guy who's almost as good at certain aspects to some extent. And they'll even leave that guy out there for certain goal line series. Like it's so bizarre, but the Browns are, are very, they don't even care if Nick Chubb is out there. If it's not Nick Chubb series and they get inside the 10, they don't put Nick Chubb in the game. Like they've done that with Hunt. They've done that with Dearness Johnson. So I think Ford has opportunities for certainly playing a lot of pass down snaps. I think he's probably going to be playing in the two minute drill. And I think if he just happens to be on the field when they reach the six yard line, I don't think he's getting the obvious like Tony Pollard yank um, in that situation. So I think almost all the guys that are clear cut backups that also have a path to standalone upside in like even a half decent offense seem to be going 14th round, 15th round. I think Ford is that, and he's an 18th rounder. There's nobody else that's on this depth chart. Like they let Dearness Johnson walk. They let Kareem Hunt walk. They didn't make any effort to replace anybody in the draft. They've talked up him preseason. I remember that Matthew Barry article came out where they're like, no, he's clearly number two. And then they showed it with their actions. So I think he's clear cut, contingent value upside, just walks into being an RB2 if anything happens to Nick Chubb. And I think he's going to sprinkle in some usable weeks in the meantime. So I think he has that sort of early teens type profile you can get in round 18 just because he hasn't actually shown anything. And he's kind of an interesting prospect. Like he's a guy that even as a day three player, Originally went to Alabama, four four six speed. Kind of has that vaguely all purpose skill set. Yeah, we I'm love we love him. we love an Alabama recruit, right? That that yeah. that is. I definitely do think there is a little bit of signal there. He was really good at Cincinnati. He caught a little bit of passes, you know. But I I kind of like that stuff too. He wasn't on my list mostly because I I think unfortunately, Kareem Hunt, Zeke. Fournette that that feels like one of the likely destinations there uh but I I'm totally with it I've taken Jerome Ford like I don't that to me is a situation that remains in flux very similar to the Vikings I think the Chiefs backfield actually is still in flux like people are Mm -hmm. sort of treating it like it's McKinnon Pacheco and Clyde and I I very much think this is a team that would love to bring in a 29 year old guy at uh at some point so not on my list but a good one, a guy worth taking. Like, for example, I think he's a much better selection than guys going ahead of him, like Dwayne McBride, Abana Kanda, James Robinson, guys like that. Like, I think he clearly has more upside and more standalone. Like, some of these, the, the running back ADP has not gotten sharp yet. Like, the, the back end people are just clicking names they recognize, I think, right now. Yeah. There's okay. a lot of guys, like, especially the rookies, like those, like you mentioned, Abana Kanda and Dwayne McBride. Yeah. There's a lot of guys where it's like, probably 40% chance of being a healthy and active in week one. Um, and, and I think I'm at this point in the, in the proceedings with so much time left to play out. Like I want to make sure that I have bullets where I'm not looking at my teams on August 25th. And I'm like, I wonder what I drafted in May. And then I'm like, ah, oh, I drafted 20% Keontae Ingram. He's not even going to make the Cardinals. Like that's right. not what I want to do. Uh, mine is basically new, new age. Uh, my number five is new age Keontae Ingram, which is Malik Davis for the Dallas Cowboys. He's, he's locked into making the roster because he plays special teams. So I think the third running back roster spot is likely not between, uh, Malik Davis and Deuce Vaughn. I believe it's between Deuce Vaughn and Ronald Jones. My guess is Ronald probably doesn't make the team. Probably, probably. He will probably be he, well. He'll probably do exactly what he did with the Chiefs last year, which is remain right. on the practice squad or a healthy scratch all year long. Um, I mean, Malik Davis, uh, kind of unlike Ford, not really a special player, not really a guy. You you look at his track record and you're like, oh yeah, this guy rocks. No, he was like mostly a backup rotational guy at Florida. Fine physical stuff, but we know kind of at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And the 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 big thing why I think he's worth taking sort of similar to Ford is that I don't think the Cowboys are going to do this, but I, there is certainly a chance that Schottenheimer and the new running back coach or whatever treats him the same way the last coaching staff did, which is this guy's literally going to break. If we play more than 30 snaps in a game, in which case there is a role for another guy in that backfield. But I think mostly he's just locked into making the roster and probably a good handcuff and an offense that's going to run the ball a ton. 
Yeah, I love that one. I, I've been hesitating a bit because maybe this is just like my broken brain as a lifelong Tony Pollard stand. I'll believe that Zeke isn't a cowboy when he signs with their team or announces his retirement. Like, otherwise, I just am still waiting for Ezekiel Elliott to sign. Uh, but if he doesn't in like a, the next while or like I have it marked on my calendar, like if Ezekiel Elliott signs with any other NFL franchise, I'm doing nothing that day except for drafting Malik Davis on every single team like that. That'll just all just generate maximum exposure because I, I really do think like last year they had 524 running back touches and 292 yeah. of them didn't go to Tony Pollard like he already had 230 last year I don't know what his breaking point is I don't think it's 230 it's probably like 250 280 my, my guess like, my guess not is 400 two, my guess is 280 and my guess yeah. is that he can still get there like he can still totally be running oh. back seven on 280 no problem for sure like I think he can get to 280 even if he gets even if he got 300, like that's still 230 touches from last year. And maybe they won't run as fast as last year. They won't be able to run as much as last year. But point is they use their running backs a lot and Pollard can get his and there's still a lot of touches left over for other backs. And, and that's probably Malik Davis more than it's Rojo. So I'm I'm with you on that. And I, I'm really with you on the game day active. Like Malik Davis is drawing way more live for the I got 12 carries today in a game Tony Pollard played. Rojo's probably only seeing the field if Tony Pollard is injured. And, and I can't even envision that world without getting sad. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Number four on the zero running back list for, for you is whom? Yeah, I will go with Tank Bigsby. Um, this is another this was, one. He was one. He was one of mine. Sweet. So I also like, I, I legitimately like Tank Bigsby. I think a lot of people kind of think he sucks, and it's fair because his numbers would say that he does kind of suck. Uh, my take with Bigsby is just I think he has all the tools that you need out of a good running back, and especially out of like a good handcuff running back, which is that he has viable workhorse size, six feet two ten. He caught passes, had thirty passes in his third year at Auburn after their third down back uh, Shivers transferred away from the program. He was clearly their guy in all passing situations. And I think he's a really strong fit for the Doug Peterson scheme, which is really running back friendly. And then Travis Etienne is kind of weird. Like there's a prevailing narrative that he can't really be an every down runner, that he's kind of boom bust. It doesn't really show up in the data. Like you he's look got a, at the he's numbers. He's got a weird gait. He's got a weird Yeah, he's gait. got a weird the film, gait. The film, yeah. the film guys say he runs weird. I don't like how he runs. It's true. You look at the data and it doesn't actually really support it. Like he actually has a really high success rate and he's an extraordinarily efficient runner. And he kind of always has been an extraordinarily efficient runner. But I do think there's some signal to it. And I think that there's some signal to the fact that he does have a pretty significant injury history. They didn't want to use him as an every down guy last year. They especially didn't particularly want to use him in passing situations last year. And Bigsby has that history. I think he has a lot of outs. I think they might use him as a supplementary short yardage type of guy, as a quote-unquote more reliable decision maker. They might even use him on passing downs. And then the big thing is like if Travis Etienne's weird gait comes in and he has any foot issues or any other injury issues, then Bigsby could potentially be a three-down back on probably a top five, top 10 offense. So I'm really excited about Bigsby. Um, and of course, he's the first running back that, you know, they've actually invested in since Doug Peterson has been there, unless you count Snoop Connor, who couldn't beat out to Michael Hasty. So I think you're getting a clear cut backup, probably some standalone value, and then tons of contingent upside in, in a particularly good offense. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's got a ton of standalone upside. They were they were really playing ETN a lot last year by the time. So by the time they started getting good last season, ETN was like getting you know, 75, 80% of the stuff, which is, I mean, it's a reason to be kind of bullish on ETN. Like but then they scaled it back a little bit. Because who played got, who he, played more snaps? Got, who played more snaps in the divisional round? Jamichael yeah. Hasty was their leading snap getter out of the running back room against the Kansas City Chiefs. That's so well, because they, they were getting their asses beat in that game. So that that's right. it. Which is which I mean, look. They're gonna be there are gonna be times where they get their ass beat yeah. a couple times this year as well, too. So I just think if you look at where he's at in the hierarchy of ADP, there are guys who I think are like drawing dead to be usable in fantasy, uh going yeah. going around him. And then I actually think there's also a huge tear break after he so after 
Bigsby and Jeff Wilson go on underdog at, at running back 53 and 54. That's where you mm-hmm. get into the, like the total question mark zone. Um, which is not to say that I never take Leonard Fournette because he is going to sign in a place that's really annoying. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that I never take Kenneth Gainwell because I kind of want to bet against DeAndre Swift. But these guys mm-hmm. are these guys are are not on my list. I, I actually don't even really care that much about Bigsby's pro, uh, prospect profile other than that he's the right size. That's that's the biggest thing to me is that if you plug – I mean, JJ was uh, has talked about this a ton, like – size ends up correlating it's so stupid but like if you if Mm -hmm. if you only had one metric other than draft capital for running backs you definitely want to choose weight because it ends up correlating so heavily to how these guys produce and then the next thing you want to pick is have they caught any passes and the answer to bigsby is both right it's like he caught 30 passes he's 210 pounds and he was drafted on day two so like to me we can even quibble about the standalone role i don't even think it matters i think the biggest thing is like if anything happens to travis Etienne at any time you're freaking pumped to put like that you have tank Bigsby on your teams. You're searching through your teams to find where you have tank Bigsby because he's going to probably play a ton. Whereas you look at a guy like a Roshan Johnson, it's not as clear to me. It's like, um, like could he be the lead back? Maybe. Could he also maybe need two injuries to get 15 points a week? Also, maybe like it's a little bit more ambiguous with Bigsby to me. I, I think it's really clear and he's very cheap where good offense, good size, good pass catching, anything happens to ETN. He's, starting for you every single week i i definitely i definitely agree with that um and and it's a good offense you want to be attached Mm -hmm. to it normally handcuffs and good offenses like you know if it's august 3rd and we know that tank bigsby is the handcuff they've they've cut jamichael ac or they've cut dearness johnson and it's just it's just very clear then he's going to be you know 10 spots more expensive or whatever yeah. uh so that he was my third only because of the context of how these guys go in adp but jeff wilson jr uh is is my next guy uh, and we talked about this i've actually been talking about this all week because uh we did the swole cast and we did adp chasing but i basically i mean i'm comfortable with the dolphins running backs where they're going all of them like i i don't love paying the price on a chain but yeah. i also don't want to not have any of them because like i told like i see it so clearly right it's it's week 17 Mostert has gotten banged up jeff wilson jr is only playing third downs now and you know a chain takes two 70 yard screen passes to the house or whatever like it's just very it's just very obvious but i basically think that the ADP has it exactly wrong based on how they should be projected. I think Jeff Wilson Jr. should be projected to score the most fantasy points in the backfield. A chain should be projected to score the second most and Mostert the third most because Mostert is the one who's obviously going to be replaced by a chain. Like if, if, if he comes in and he's awesome and he understands blocking and the coaches like him and he just, you know, all that stuff that happens yeah. with day two rookies, he's just going to come in and, Raheem Mostert is going to be Jarek McKinnon. You know, he's going to be the break glass in case of emergency guy. Whereas Jeff Wilson Jr.'s role is the exact opposite. There, there's no one else on the roster who can supplant him. And I think maybe we're, we we think back to last season and we're like, oh, you know, Edmonds was there and Mostert had a couple big games. I mean, basically every game that Jeff Wilson Jr. was active for, he got double-digit touches goal line carries and 50% or more of the snaps. There was a game he left injured and there was a week 13 and week 14 game where they got shit house where they were just getting blown out and Mostert came in instead. But I just, I, it doesn't make any sense for this guy to be, he plays some third downs. Like he's not, he's not like a yeah. zero reception guy and he gets the goal line work ahead of Mostert. I, I it just he just feels like free money. It feels like picking up nickels, basically. Jeff Wilson Jr. What percentage chance is Dalvin Cook a Miami Dolphin? That's the only thing that stops that, me from that having feels, like that 50% feels real. exposure to Jeff Wilson. That feels that feels very real. I mean, we you know we had uh, what we had the uh, the Minnesota Vikings changing the header of their uh, yeah. of their their Twitter. That profile. was what did it for me. By the way, I was like I, I was on the ah they'll probably just keep Cook. They'll probably just keep Cook, and then they. It doesn't matter what any like national reporter said when they changed the header. I was like, "Oh, he's done." <laughs> that was that was like fully for me the moment that I flipped. I mean, it just it feels like. Also, you know, we keep hearing this. Oh, well, they'll just trade him. 
I don't, it's like, why has there been no movement on this? I don't know. I wonder if, uh, you know, Hayden was telling me and Sam about how Dalvin like faked an injury to get like an, uh, a guarantee of his contract. So he couldn't be waived and lose like $2 million or something like that probably really pissed them off. I bet yeah. they were like, so I wonder if it's kind of like, Oh, we're not going to trade you or we're not going to waive you until it's like, a, like shitty for you personally. Like it's right. going to, it's actually going to be annoying for you to have to like change your life like in like late July or whatever. <laughs> I do wonder if there's stuff like that that happens. Cause that is kind of a dick move by him, honestly. Yeah. And we've seen it before. Like it's not exact same situation because he was on a rookie deal, but like the Lenny might get cut rumors started in March and then Lenny being cut happened in like late August. Right. Like it's, it's happened before where we've heard the rumors and then been like, Oh, I guess it's not going to happen. And Car- then it Carlos does happen. Hyde, Carlos Hyde on a better yeah. deal with the chiefs. Yeah, like very, we get the late similar. ones. So I, I'm still not sold. Like I'm I'm fully sold that Joe Mixon is a Bengal. I'm very not sold that Dalvin Cook is a Viking. Um, and that's my only thing with Wilson. Like I'm I mean, like, because if Dalvin Cook was to sign with the Dolphins tomorrow, what's the efficient ADP? Like Cook, I feel like, well, he'll just go too high, but I would probably be comfortable drafting Cook in like the fifth. He'll probably go higher than that. I don't care, he's bad. Um, that. yeah and that's fine I, i'm really happy to fade a 28 year old declining dalvin cook um 18 probably goes in like the 12th or the 13th and then like wilson no and no Moster don't i bet drafted, i bet right no i was gonna say i bet a chain doesn't really fall much at all uh but i bet i bet the consequence is the market to- is just done taking moster and jeff wilson jr that they that they basically go to zero which i think is somewhat reasonable like i think I think it chains role early season is probably pretty much the same, whether it's Dalvin or whether it's Mostert and Wilson. I think 100%. the difference is like he has, he has, he's drawing totally dead to be at 15 carry per game back late season without an injury. If Dalvin's there, like, I think there's a path now where if it chains just so good that they're like, we're not that beholden to Mostert and Wilson. Um, I don't think that's necessarily likely, but it's, it's in play. If Dalvin's there, like he's he's James Cook at that point, like from last year, barring uh, maybe even multiple injuries. Um, but yeah, if, if they don't sign Dalvin Cook, Wilson is horrendously mispriced because I agree. Like Mostert is kind of whatever. Like I think he's he's pretty duplicative, but they change. He's also what thirty two. Yeah, and, and he's not also like, re- he's not a real running back. Like like Raheem Mostert, Raheem Mostert is. He's got the wildest career. If you he was like a track guy at like I I at Purdue, never ran for a thousand yards, was on like a billion practice squads, and then you know just Kyle Shanahan broke him out of purgatory. But like he's not a he's not a real running back. You know he's just like a guy. Yeah. He's an athlete, and he's also um, he had always been efficient until last year, and then he wasn't anymore, which is not that surprising because he's like thirty one. So like he's probably just bad now. And yeah. I mean, if he's not like the fastest running back in the NFL, then what do you have left, right? Very little. Uh, all right. So that was uh, that was both my third and my fourth because they go right back to back in ADP on underdog. Yeah. Um, I will keep I have one more rookie, uh, and it'll be Kendra Miller uh, is my next guy. Um, I'm kind of confused why Kendra Miller goes behind both a chain in Charbonnet on underdog right now. They all kind of go in a cluster in dynasty. Cause they drafts. paid cause they paid Jamal Williams. And I think the, this is this work, this works both ways. It's the, it's Taysom Hill existing. Right. Okay. Right. So Taysom that it's, but it's, it's very, okay. All right. I gotta, I gotta explain this the right way. So Taysom Hill existing keeps every saints player who can theoretically run the ball being bumped up a little bit in ADP, but the existence of Jamal Williams, Kenry Miller, Alvin Kamara also keeps Taysom Hill's ADP deflated Mm. a little bit. Like really people are just, and the saints are going to be kind of bad too. So people are just kind of throwing up their hands being like, I don't know. My, my guess is. But they have such an easy schedule. Like they could easily win 11 or 12 games. Like every, every NFC South teams schedule is absolute cake because well, they play each other. And then they only other play bad divisions, right? It's like they play the NFC North and the AFC South or something like that. It might be a different division than the AFC, but it's it's cake. Like all four of them have such easy schedules. Yeah. So really, I would say probably 
ADP seems like roughly efficient on these players, other than if Kamara only gets like a three-game suspension, in which case he ends yeah. up being like a huge smash. But it really will just be like whack-a-mole who scores the rushing touchdowns, right? Like if Taysom Hill scores seven rushing touchdowns, you're going to hate having any of these guys. But if he scores two, you're going to love having these guys. But Jamal Williams is bad. Like, I think that we're we're like, we've lost sight of the Jamal Williams' bag. He scored a bunch of touchdowns last year, but he isn't good. And he catches zero passes. He's like a stone. He used to kind of catch passes in Green Bay, but I don't know if that he can do that anymore. They certainly didn't think he could in Detroit. And he's not actually that efficient as a runner either. And he's really old. So he probably just gets worse each and each year. And I don't know when Kamara is going to play. Like, is if you told me Kamara gets six games, sure. If you told me he gets... 10 games, sure. You told me he's, he's caught from the team at some point. Like, I, I would believe that, too. I, I'm not. And he's also bad, too. Like, both these other running backs are, are very old. They're both declining pretty hard. And what surprises me is, like, in Dynasty rookie draft, people are grouping Miller in with a chain and Charbonnet. It's like a threesome. And to me, like, maybe not a chain, but Charbonnet, it's like, okay, he's clearly the second best running back on this team. Miller's like quite possibly the best running back on this team. So I, I get if you like Charbonnet was the guy with the higher pedigrees, the guy with the higher draft capital. I get it a little bit more in Dynasty. But from a best ball perspective, I would much rather take Miller. Like I think he has a pretty clear path to just being the lead guy by like week six. I also think he has a pretty clear path to being like getting two touches per game. So it's certainly a wide range of outcomes. But I think it's entirely possible he's just fully the starting running back and the highest scoring running back at some point this year. It may still be in a messy committee, but I'm not counting on Kamara ever playing for the Saints. Like, I don't know. I'm also not counting that he that he doesn't play for like 14 games, but I'm kind of treating Kamara almost like Javante Williams, where it's just like, it could be anything. He could play 16 games. He could play zero. I don't really know. Um but for Miller going in the teens, like there's a possibility. It's just him and Jamal Williams, who's old and doesn't catch any passes for a team that's projected you know, to you know win a lot of games. Jamal Williams did catch passes in Green Bay. Right. He did. And then and then he doesn't anymore. And I don't know which one it is. Like, I don't know if it's that they just thought he couldn't do it, but they were like sure he couldn't do it in Detroit. Cause then because even when Swift went out, they were like, no, Craig Reynolds, you run all the routes. Well, isn't this, isn't this uh isn't this the deal of running backs in general is that we like once you've demonstrated an ability to do it it's just a matter of if your team throws the ball to you or not if they decide to do that for you like it's more it's more of like offensive coordinator uh you know quarterback decision making than it is like obviously like some running backs like actually can't do it they they're like too stiff-hipped or they just don't understand it but like Jamal Williams, I mean, he caught passes in college. He caught passes in Green Bay. Not that I'm not sure. saying Jamal Williams is like this, like Uber athlete or whatever. But also, I I really, I mean, it's the Saints. Like, I would not be surprised if Jamal Williams is like getting force fed one yard touchdowns either. It's very possible for sure. I don't know. I just I've not drafted Jamal Williams yet at all. I've been drafting Kendra over him. Like, I I just think. They spend a day two pick on this back. Maybe they just think it's a redshirt year, and they're like, look, we're going to deal with whatever we get out of Kamara. I don't know. We have Jamal. Kendra's like our running back of the future. Maybe they're like a dumb enough team to think of terms like running back of the future. Um, But I just see it as very ambiguous. And I do think, like, I don't think that their roster is that good, but I think that they're a good enough team that they're probably going to score points and win games just by virtue of how bad all the teams they play are every single week. And I think he has a reasonable shot of being like a talented, explosive guy who's the lead back of on offense. And if we pair him with some of the safer guys that I think I'll mention soon that have a more stable, projectable role, I think he's a guy that I could be really pumped where even without an injury, it's like week 11. And it's like, that's the guy I want on all my teams because he's the clear cut lead back for the next six weeks. I, I see that path with Miller and I think he has some talent upside. I don't know that any of the other guys necessarily have that path to a standalone lead back role versus other guys who are relying more on contingent value or guys who just have like a clear cut standalone um, segmented role instead of having that sort of every down type upside. I just haven't thought that deeply about him. Honestly, I just am. So the saints are just annoying to me. Just their very existence is annoying to me. Like Michael Thomas. You love continues. the saints. They've gifted you Taysom Hill for, so that's plus. that's the same I take. That's the, that truly is <laughs> the, the only same. one. That's, 
that's really the, well in Alave, but yeah. I don't really have any interest in Michael Thomas. I'll like backdoor no. Carr and Shahid if I'm like lost in the middle of a draft or something like that. But I just I just find them annoying. I, I no. Did you hear that Rashid Shahid changed his number to twenty two? Undraftable. Oh, that's like Sky Moore energy, dude. I don't know. Yeah, but it's even worse. <laughs> he like sought it out. Like Sky Moore wore that in college, and he was like, "I'll stick with it," and and that was the wrong decision. But I I understand it. Shahid watched Sky Moore last year, and he was like, "I want that. I want to be wearing a safety number." Yeah, it's unacceptable. So he's off my draft board now. Like, like honestly, Sky, if if he would change his number to eighty two, I think he <laughs> might make it. I think I think I think it could bring like good vibe because no good wide receivers wearing the eighties anymore. I think no. he could bring like I think Sky could rejuvenate his career. I I think he could figure it out. Uh, but he he just twenty four, huh? Twenty four is what you want, Sky. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's, not it's, it's it's not good. It's really not. Uh, it's it's so bad. All right. So honestly, felt a little pithy to include Jarek McKinnon or Elijah Mitchell on this list. Like I think yeah. everyone just gets it. There's nothing to say about them. Yeah. It's like Elijah Mitchell is CMC's handcuff. If CMC gets hurt, you win your league. There's literally not anything interesting to say about him. I don't think there's anything interesting to say about Jarek McKinnon either. I think uh, I think we're chasing a bit of a ghost with McKinnon, honestly. Like Jarek McKinnon, it was my highest drafted player last year. It was a great experience. Like I I I felt as though like six years of my life truthing for Jarek McKinnon for nothing was finally paid off in whole. I, I don't know. Like, are we really gonna do this again? I feel like that's trying to get lightning to strike twice, taking him in like the eleventh round. Well, hasn't he done? He's done it two years in a row, though. McKinnon. Well, one year in the playoffs, not an actual for fantasy. It's the, it's the same, same thesis, though. Right? Yeah, but he did nothing. Like, if you drafted him on underdog, you you got like zero points from him two years ago. Well, that was when they thought Clyde still existed, right? The Clyde yeah. Clyde does not exist now. I would say the biggest reason to not. I mean, this this price for McKinnon is fine, but I think that if it's again, if it's August and they haven't signed anyone else he's going to be going where like a chain goes. Like he's going to be going in yeah, like the 10th round. Very you know? possible. Um, and, and I actually, I'm actually with you. Like I'm not drafting McKinnon a lot right now. Uh, he was a much better bet last year when he was free. Uh, yeah. Like, and, and Clyde was still going and what well, Clyde was going in like the eighth or ninth round or whatever last year. Clyde is the better bet now. I mean, Clyde, do you 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 want to be you want to be real about it? God. Clyde is the better bet right now. No, I don't want. He's to. he's he's stone free. He <laughs> he, he truly. Free. I mean, he he could get cut, but if they don't sign Kareem Hunt, if they don't sign Zeke, if they don't sign Fournette, I, what he's playing? I mean, he, it, it just is what it is. He will be an active player on the Kansas <laughs> City Chiefs. And my my guess is my my true guess and prognostication would be he has more touches week one than Jarek McKinnon, right? Yeah, I mean, that's very possible, right? Like, McKinnon, I think people forget McKinnon. Like, the, the timing of McKinnon's year to me is why his ADP is so high. Like, if he had the exact same year, but his weeks were distributed not to align with the best ball playoffs and everybody's right. fantasy playoffs, he would be going and, like, pick 185. Like, if if the stretch that he had from week, like, 12 through 16 or whatever it was, was actually week 7 through 11, then, like, we wouldn't... And, and it's not like it's like he got it and then he retained it. Like he was terrible throughout the actual playoffs. Like if you played Jarek McKinnon in DFS in any of the Chiefs playoff games, like you lost money. So I, I think like he had this insane stretch where he just monopolized a ton of touches and luck box touchdowns like crazy. And I think that's what people remember. People forget that every week when I was writing like my running back screaming column, well, they definitely forget about that column, but what they forget is that 54% snaps for Jerick McKinnon. Oh, he ran, he got 61% of the routes. He had two targets and one carry. Like that was, that was the report on Jerick McKinnon for like seven straight weeks. And then eventually those routes turned into touches. They mostly turned into touches after all of their receivers got hurt also. And they were like, he's the only other guy that can catch passes. Not that they have good receivers now, but I, I do think people forget how many empty calorie routes like Jarek McKinnon was running last year until basically the best ball playoffs when he became a god. I mean, you know, that's what if they just do the same thing again, though? Have you thought about it? Have you processed it? It would be that? great. It would be great. Like, I would be, 
I'll draft Jarek McKinnon just because he's probably one of my favorite players of all time. And anytime that he's successful, if I'm not financially benefiting from it, I just won't be able to face myself in the mirror. That's, so that's the deal is I think you take him, you just take him when you have Mahomes stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That That's the time to take him. You don't, you don't add him as like a one-off or whatever, right? You, you want, you want that correlation. Yeah. Um, okay. So my second guy here, someone explained to me why, why we've given, Every other player like Antonio Gibson, infinity chances, <clears throat> drafted him way too high, <sighs> you know, chase the ghost, right? I, I you know, I'm kind of thinking like CJ Spiller type guys. I mean, we have chased that fucking ghost. Jarek McKinnon, you might say. Yeah, Jarek McKinnon like tore his ACL, you know, was on like his fourth team. We're still taking it, just doesn't matter, right? But all we've decided that Antonio Gibson is dead because Brian Robinson like churned along for 2.7 yards per carry. <laughs> no, I mean, get it. I, I think Gibson is the, I don't know. I probably, one. if I, I haven't done He's number one, I haven't done rankings yet. Uh, I would probably rank him like running back 25. I think if I was doing my rankings or something like that, like what, what are, I mean, cause he, it's not, again, it's, I think people are uh, to your, to your McKinnon point. I think just having bad memories, like I think their memory is that Gibson stopped playing, you know, was was useless when when Robinson was getting all these empty touches. And it's not true. I mean, he was still involved on third downs, still involved in the passing game and was was more fit. I mean, was not a super efficient runner, but was in the context of what was happening for the Washington Commanders, still more efficient than Brian Robinson. Yeah, this was uh, this is why I made seven. Um, this is an audio program, so you couldn't see me actively fist pumping when you said Gibson. But this is yeah. by far my most drafted running back. I have over forty percent of Antonio Gibson right now. Um, I think he's just horrendously mispriced. I, I would much rather take him straight up over Brian Robinson. I view the situation up. basically like the Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson situation last year, where you have two guys. The most likely scenario is that they're in a platoon in which one guy has a little more of the rushing, one guy has all the receiving. But if Antonio Gibson gets hurt, Brian Robinson's role changes 0%. I I don't know who they signed to play on third downs, but it's somebody. Like, there's a better chance that you, Davis Maddock, is playing third and 10 for the Washington Commanders than Brian Robinson. So, but if Brian Robinson gets hurt, like, Antonio Gibson could theoretically play almost every snap. Like I'm sure Chris Rodriguez will come in and plow ahead for a couple yards there's, every there's now and been, again. There's or... been a lot of there's been a lot of Chris Rodriguez chatter. Well, there can be Chris. I don't care about Chris Rodriguez chatter. He was well. Yeah, I don't. I don't buy it. But overall there's been a pick, lot of like it. whatever. Like so, I'm sure he'll see some touches to either Rodriguez or I don't know if Jonathan Williams is still in the building um, or whoever else they sign. Insert bad running back. But there's like a theoretical path for Gibson to be an 80% snaps, 80% routes, all long down distance, all short down and distance touches guy that doesn't exist for Brian Robinson. I mean, you you only have to go back a year for Antonio Gibson to be a league winner, right? Right. (laughs) I don't know. We've we've seen this path before. Like, and I, I, I don't think I've been a Gibson guy and like, I was not a Gibson guy last year. But yeah, it's so easy to be a Gibson guy again. And you're right. People do forget that he had a good role. Like when when Robinson started to emerge, there was like the one Thursday night game, which is, I guess, the game that people remember where Gibson barely yeah. played at all. I was going to say Robinson had like 28 carries or something in that game. Yeah. Yeah. And then Rivera was like, oh, we forgot about Antonio Gibson in the second half. And everybody like made fun of him. But then what they forget is like the next week, Gibson, I think, scored like two touchdowns and they started using him on way more routes than J.D. McKissick. And he became like their kind of pass down ish, but also interesting deployment guy. Like he was getting actual dot routes like they were throwing him 10, 15 yards downfield. And now you get Eric Bieniemy. We just talked about Jarek McKinnon for five minutes, right? Like Eric Bieniemy likes throwing the ball to the back. He likes the back. He's going to be able to pass protect. Like I don't. I don't know that Brian Robinson makes any sense in his scheme if he retains almost anything that comes over from the Chiefs. I, I think there's a, lo- a lot of upside for Gibson as a standalone guy, a lot of upside for Gibson as a contingent guy. I, I think he's the most mispriced running back on the board, quite frankly. I, I think he should be like a round seven, eight pick, and you can get him firmly in the double digits. I don't know if he's the most mispriced. He probably he probably is. He probably is just because he's flip-flopped with his teammate. 
I mean, there's certainly there's a chance if we knew the results of the season that David Montgomery or Javante Williams would be because there's yeah. a chance David Montgomery just leads the Lions backfield and touches. That's true. And we expect that to be a good backfield. And Madison might just be. Oh, yeah. Madison. Right. <laughs> he might. Yeah. Madison's Madison's a good one for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for, so for this exercise, though, we were only using guys outside of the top 100 picks. Um, OK, so wait, that was. Uh, that was my two. What is, uh, who was your number one? I have one guy left on my list. So I have, um, I have, let's see, I have a couple guys left because I'm scratching Gibson. Um, so I think that leaves me two slots left because we did Bigsby, Ford, Miller. Yeah. Okay. So I'm yeah. moving up now. I have extra guys. Um, not as fun as Antonio Gibson, but Damian Harris just feels this, like a, this is an my easy this is pick. my top guy. Not not fun, but will score more fantasy points and half PPR than James Cook. It just uh, it's like taking assuredly. Singletary. Yeah, you're you're taking yeah. you're, you're drinking your apple cider vinegar. But I think he's like also a better player than Singletary too, and he's like a legitimate goal line back. Like they've never really had a goal line back in Buffalo, and it's been fine because they have Josh Allen. But Singletary's tiny. Like people forget that he's bigger than James Cook, but Singletary's also undersized. Zach Moss just can't play football. Um, Damian Harris is like a responsible professional running back that they just haven't really had as archetype yet in Buffalo. He's these two guys' roles are like hundred percent bifurcated. Where like if Harris gets hurt, X other running back is taking his role. If Cook gets hurt, X other running back is taking his role. There's not a lot of contingent value. I think that they operate entirely in parallel of one another, but you still have an opportunity of a guy who's going to have a consistent role every single week and he's going to punch in a touchdown, hopefully every second week. And if you are doing zero RB rosters, like you need these types of guys to get you through the early season and just have that stability while you wait on your tank Bigsby or your Jerome Ford or whoever else to get in there. And he gets to do it in a good offense too. So I I think Harris is like a great um, fit for any zero RB structure and also has like a lot a legitimate path to single week upside where any week he's in play for 100 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, if 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 James Cook just is the James Cook that he was last year and doesn't make marginal that many or ma- makes marginal improvements, but is not uh, that much more involved, you know, I mean, like James Cook is playing behind Naheem Hines last season. Anyone who's familiar with Naheem Hines knows that that's not <laughs> uh, it's that's not good, right? So. <laughs> Damian Harris, I mean, it really, the 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 tagline is uh, Devin Singletary, but good, right? I mean, Damian right. Harris led the NFL in touchdowns. We are, Dude, we are so bad at this. He led the NFL in touchdowns two yeah. years ago. Two years ago. And now because, I don't know. And, uh, you know, you do kind of think like, oh, they've been talking a lot about not having Josh Allen run so much, not calling his own number. So, I mean, you, you don't have to squint to see. It's week 17, Bills, Patriots, revenge game for Damian Harris. And, you know, uh, McDermott's dialing up a four touchdown game for Damien. Like you just, you, you don't yeah. even have to squint to see it. It's right there. And they're going to be in blowouts, right? Like you're going to have weeks where they're up 31 to 10 and they're not going to run Josh Allen in those games. And then it's going to be, here 100%. you go, Damien. Like here's your third touchdown today. And it's going to be great. We, he did this. He did this two years ago. We're just, we always should react so hard to whatever happened most recently about these running backs. And like you said, they've demonstrated their skills and, and effectively their range of outcomes within those skills kind of just remains the same. Like it's like Antonio Gibson's the same thing. It's like he always had it in his range of outcomes to get cocked as a runner because he has a highly questionable rushing profile. But we didn't care about that two years ago. We barely even cared about it last year. He still has it in his range of outcomes to get a lot of carries by accident and pro- add that on to all the explosive playmaking and everything else. Right. Like, so I, I think that it's the same thing with Harris. Like we saw the bad result from him last year and we forget that we were all eagerly drafting him in like round seven or eight in a way worse offense paired with a way better running back just last year. Yeah, no, you are, you are hundred percent correct. So mostly, mostly aligned for us other than uh, Kendra Miller, who I, that's true. I just, I can't, the Saints, man. I just get I get Taysom, the Taysom is just living <laughs> rent free in your head. He is. You and, any other and, and Derek Carr and everything. They just the they, they truly give me the ick. They do. <laughs> yeah. Like I just get I just get the ick from the New Orleans Saints, right. other than and Taysom. if they ever snap the ball with four four seconds left in the play clock, I, never never a chance. Right. So. It'll be the it'll be the first time. Uh okay. Yeah. Who else do you have on your list? Did you have anyone else? Yeah, I had one other guy. 
I don't know. I feel so lame because it's like everybody's guy. Um, but I'm still going to name check him. I still think Samaj P. Ryan's a smash. I don't he buy is, the Javante Williams what are we? What are we doing, all. man? Yeah, I, I love Samaj P. Ryan. This has been a long-running bit for me um, in, in Dynasty where I have this thing called the Samaj P. line, which is any any wide receiver. Like, once the, any wide receiver that you wouldn't rather roster than, like, effectively the worst least rostered backup running back below the P line. You got to cut them. You got to go pick up a backup running back. Samaj P. Ryan finally blossomed last year. <laughs> we saw it play out. He can do everything you need. He's not particularly good, but he can catch passes. He can pass block. He can handle short yardage work. He needs everything you need out of a fantasy running back and especially a handcuff running back. I, I'm like so bearish on the Javante injury news. I, I don't care how positive it is. Until he's playing on my television screen in week one, there's no chance I believe it. I'm fighting it. I, I think that you look at multi-ligament tear. We've seen this several times. If Javante comes back early in the season, he's going to be an extremely high injury risk or just a bad at football risk for the rest of this year. And I'm still not super convinced that Javante is even some workhorse running back, even if he was fully healthy, because we basically have a one-week sample of it. He split time with Michael Carter at UNC, he split time with Melvin Gordon as a rookie, and we have one half of football in which he played as a workhorse running back last year before he got injured. So I think P. Ryan's going to probably be playing um, long down and distance the entirety of the year. I think he's going to get legitimate drives to come in um, and handle the full workload. And for as long as Javante's hurt or if he gets re-hurt, he's going to be the guy. And we know with Sean Payton's offense, they want to throw the ball to running backs. I, I just think he's a total smash, um, even as his ADP keeps creeping up. And I'm praying for continued positive Javante hype videos throughout June and July so that I can just keep drafting some AJP run. Are you also similarly bearish on Brees Hall? Or are you, is this injury pessimism only running one way? Um. I should be more bearish on Brees Hall, probably. I like I'm not a Twitter doctor, so I just kind of believe what they tell me, and I don't apply a lot of scrutiny to it. The Twitter doctor industrial complex seems to have a lot more faith in Brees Hall's so, single they're ligament some of my tear. They're some of my favorite people on earth. Like just like yeah. some of the most unhinged characters on Twitter right. are, <laughs> Absolutely. Are, are are like fantasy Twitter doctors. And, and it's so funny, like, what the zeitgeist is of, like, the fantasy medical consensus each year, depending on the injuries. And the big thing this year is for sure, like, wow, that's a multi-ligament tear, but that's a single ligament tear. And it's like the, the, the prognosis from the Twitter doctor industrial complex, effectively, like, if you have a multi-ligament tear, you may as well be dead. Um, and if you have a single ligament tear, like, it's like nothing ever happened is sort of what was, it seems to be, at least, like, the memification of it. I'm more into Brees Hall, A, because I just think a lot better than Javante Williams. I also have more faith in that offense. And I just generally trust that the medical consensus is a lot more bullish on Hall being legitimately ready to rock early in season versus Javante Williams being probably not going to play early, probably not going to be as good when he comes back just due to the different nature of the injury. But so I've been drafting Brees Hall more so, but I, I do think he's certainly a high risk pick. What about I you? mean, the risk with the risk with Brees is way higher. You're spending a second round pick on to to acquire the services of Brees. Third Hall. round pick. You can do a third round pick. Where where are I you mean, even drafting any Brees or no Brees? No, I fucking take Derrick Henry like a real man. <laughs> I've also been taking Derrick Henry, but I've been taking some Brees too. I think I think every running back at that turn. Like I, I think just I, the running yeah, backs at I, that I, turn take, are just so much better all. than the wide receivers. I, yeah. I take the most Pollard, um, but now unfortunately he goes to the top of the tier. I want Zeke to sign in Dallas so badly because I, I would love to draft Paul. Like if I could draft Pollard where like Najee Harris and Etienne and Gibbs go, if Zeke signs, that that would that would make my year. Um, so that's what I'm praying for. But otherwise, like are you just you're taking Jacobs and Henry over Brees? Uh I have not taken Jacobs yet on underdog yet. I don't think I think I've only taken him on because he's actually like a pretty fair price. No, no, like, I, I don't it's I important to have principles. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I just prefer Pollard and Henry to yeah. him. And I also I also really like Ramondre. Like I yeah, Ramondre's so, a smash. Like and clicking Jacobs does still give me the ick a little bit, you yeah. know? Like just on <laughs> yeah, just on fair. just on principle. Not that not that I think he's a bad pick or whatever, but yeah. And I really just want to click Henry right now because I think by the time the slappies <laughs> get in, 
he's gonna be he's gonna be like going where like Saquon is now. You know, like the time oh, the time certainly. to draft Henry is now. Yeah, so. I I definitely think like when when the mouth breathers come in in August, you're gonna be like, oh god, you nerds have Derrick Henry as a third round pick. Get out of here, and and they'll be right. Also, like Derrick Henry shouldn't be a third round pick. There's no need for this. Like he's still a good running back. And to me, this is the other thing. There's no difference to me between a 27-year-old running back and a 29-year-old running back. Like, until we've seen significant signs of decline, like, they just kind of are what they are until they aren't. And some running backs die sooner than other running backs. But, like, Henry is still pretty good. Um, and I'm just projecting him to continue to be good at massive volume until he shows to me that he isn't. And in round three, I mean, he's an epic smash. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Tell the people where to go, where they can think about thinking, how they can support you, yeah. how they can uh, how they can continue the Jacob Sanderson experience. Uh, absolutely. You can find me on Substack at jacobsanderson.substack.com. Uh, it's called Thinking About Thinking. You'll find it posted in my Twitter. Um, I have not written for the last week and a bit because I wrote an absolutely obscene amount of rookie content. So I'm just allowing that to percolate in the minds of the subscribers for a bit, but I will be back shortly. Uh, I'll be writing primarily best ball stuff for the rest of the summer. And uh, like Davis alluded to, uh, we might have some rankings, uh, things that we're working on together, myself and you and Pat. So uh, make sure to stay tuned for that as well. Beautiful. All right, everyone, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. I will, uh, we'll be back. The ADP chasing show will be on this feed on Monday and I will be doing a show with Bimeford next week as well. So see y'all then. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor.